Chapter Eleven of the Black Fawn by James Arthur Kelgard. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Roger Moline. Leaves crisp with frost rustled beneath Bud's packs as he strode on through the woods. His shotgun was half raised, but his mind was not on the grouse that any moment now might rocket up from the copse of brush he was approaching. He sighed. It had been a busy summer and not entirely a good one. There had been a good crop of young chickens, but a mysterious malady had killed a third of them. Neither he nor Gramps had been able to discover what it was. Gramps thought the trouble was that the white Wyandots were less hardy than crossbreeds. Bud was sure Gramps was mistaken, although none of his books gave a clue as to what was wrong. More keenly than ever, Bud felt his lack of knowledge and the need to acquire more. During the spring and summer he had not worried much about hunting for the black buck. Autumn and the deer season had seemed very far away then. But now the season was here, and Gramps' anticipation mounted daily. Since school had reopened, Gramps had made as intensive a study of the black buck and his habits as he had of Old Yellowfoot and his. At least three times a week, and sometimes more often, Gramps went into Bennett's woods to observe the buck. By now Gramps knew the buck's favorite haunts, his drinking places, where he liked to rest, and when he foraged. Twice Gramps had been within rifle shot, by which the old man concluded that the black buck was not as cunning as old Yellowfoot. Still, the black buck would be no easy game, and he had an even bigger rack than old Yellowfoot's at its best. To hang that rack on the living room wall would be the crowning achievement of Gramps' career as a hunter and fisherman. Between them, Gramps had made up his mind he and Bud would hang it there. It occurred to Bud there in the autumn woods that if Gramps became ill again, he wouldn't be able to go on hunting the black buck. Bud still felt that a bond existed between him and the black buck, that his destiny and the buck's hung on the same thread, so that Bud's good fortune in being at Bennett's farm would end if anything happened to the buck. But Bud realized at once that he would rather face the end of the buck and of his own happiness than another of Gramps' attacks. Just as he came to that conclusion, the grouse rose in a thunder of wings. Bud raised his gun and knew as he shot that the bird he was aiming at was out of range. Then he heard Gramps' gun boom twice and saw two grouse plummet into the leaves. "'Dreaming today?' Gramps called. "'As Pete Henderson said to his boy Ben, "'I've taught you all I know, and you still don't know nothing. "'That was as neat a straightaway shot as I ever saw.' "'I wasn't ready.' "'We'll teach a few grouse to wait until you are,' Gramps said. "'I swear to gosh, bud, you act like you got a girl on your mind.' Gramps went forward to pick up his grouse. He held them by the legs, and their mottled plumage rippled in the faint breeze. Gramps, who had seen half a thousand grouse, 
looked for a moment at these two as though they were the first. Then he walked to and sat down on a mossy log. "'Guess I'm getting old,' he remarked. "'I doubt if I'll be hunting Bennett's Woods more than another forty or fifty years.' Bud said nothing as Gramps laid his grouse carefully in the leaves beside the log and ejected the two spent shells from his double-barreled twelve shotgun. The limit for grouse was four, but Gramps believed that two was enough for any hunter. After they had sat together on the log for a while, Gramps said, "'I ran across old Yellowfoot day before yesterday, and all he's got this year is two spikes.' I swear he knows it, too, and that spikes ain't legal. Stood no more than twenty yards away, chewing his cud like any old cow and hardly giving me a second look. He'll be safe unless one of those trigger-happy hunters who'll shoot at anything runs across him, and I doubt if one of those can find him. He hasn't lost his brains just cause the rest of him started downhill. He's earned his right to peace. Peace is a word with a lot of stretch, bud. Take people now. Some get it one way and some another, and some never get it. Heinrich Umberdehoven can't have any peace thout he's workin', because only when he's working is there any hope of earning another dollar or two. Rudy Burson, he don't have any peace unless he's loafing, and he'd rather be known as the Haleyville Town Bum than work. Sammy Toller never gets any peace, and I don't know why, unless it's cause he's always deviled by notions. When his sheep petered out, he figured to go in for cattle feeding. If that don't work, he'll try something else. If it does, he'll be fretted, trying to make it bigger and better. Old Yellowfoot might have peace, if by that you mean he's safe from hunters. But I think he'd rather be hunted. Why? He's old, and the way he lives, it ain't nice to get old. His bones will ache, he'll feel the cold, he'll have a rough time finding enough to eat in winter, and by and by he'll just naturally lay down and die. It won't be because he has to, but because his life will not be worth living any more. While he was being hunted, he was in his prime and he never gave a darn anyhow, because he knew he could get away from any hunter. He did it for a good many years, and I think he got as much fun out of fooling hunters as they did out of hunting him. For the first time it occurred to Bud that hunting could be a two-way street, and that the hunted sometimes took as keen a delight in eluding their pursuers as the hunters in pursuing. "'It makes sense,' he said, after he had thought it over. "'It is sense,' Gramps said, "'less you get some poor little scared thing too young to know what it's all about, and those you oughtn't to hunt anyhow. But I'm sort of glad we didn't get old Yellowfoot.' "'Why?' "'He had the biggest rack I ever saw, and I figured it'd be the biggest I ever would see. But the black buck beats him, and it ain't right for one person to kill two big deer. One's a trophy, but two's hoggishness. If you get the buck you want, and the black buck is the one I want, 
Leave the next big one for somebody else. A fuzzy caterpillar, driven by some unseasonal urge, started crawling up the log on which they were sitting. Gramps pointed at the caterpillar, which was black at both ends and brown between. "'We're in for some early bad weather,' he said. "'How do you know?' Bud asked. "'The longest black's on the fore-end of that caterpillar, and that always means the fore-end of the winter will be long and hard.' Bud pondered this piece of information. Gramps's lore had proved valid so often in the past that Bud knew better than to dismiss what the old man was saying about caterpillars as so much local superstition. Shortly after Bud had come to the farm, Gramps had told him that when swallows flew near the ground, a storm was in the making. Bud hadn't taken much stock in that until he learned in school that the low-pressure area that precedes a storm drives insects down near the earth, and so the swallows follow them. Therefore, when swallows fly close to the ground, a storm does usually follow. "'You aim to get yourself a couple of grouse?' Gramps asked. "'I don't think so,' Bud said. "'Something is chewing on you,' Gramps said. "'What is it?' "'Nothing,' Bud said turning his face away because he could not look at Gramps and tell an untruth. "'You ain't going to stop hunting?' Gramps asked. Two grouse are plenty for the three of us.' "'I hope you don't feel like hanging fire when we go after the black buck.' "'I'll hunt him with you,' Bud promised. "'Then we'll get him,' Gramps seemed relieved. Well, let's mosey home and see how Mother's doing. In his first free period the following Monday, Bud sat in the principal's outer office at Haleyville High School. After five minutes, Mr. Thorne's secretary told him to go in. Bud, who had always been at ease with Mr. Thorne, was nervous. I'd like permission to be excused from school for as much of the deer season as necessary, sir, he said stiffly. "'Want to get yourself a buck, eh?' "'Well, partly.' "'Do you think that hunting is more important than your academic career?' "'No, sir.' "'Then what is it?' "'There's a big buck in Bennett's woods,' Bud blurted out. "'Gramps, Mr. Bennett, that is, has always dreamed of killing just such a deer. It's sort of like a dream he's always had.' Gramps had been sick, and he isn't exactly young. No one can be sure he'll be able to hunt next deer season. He has to get the black buck this year. He thinks I can help him. In other words, you want to stay out of school for an indefinite period to help Delbert Bennett get this buck. Well, I think it can be arranged. Then, before Bud could thank him, Mr. Thorne went on. "'In fact, I think it will be a very important part of your education. You may not see what I mean now, but maybe you will later.' Gramps, who was splitting wood when Bud got home that afternoon, yelled, "'Hallelujah!' 
when he heard the good news and threw a stick of firewood in the air. "'The black buck's as good as ours,' he said. Not long afterward the school bus was crawling up the highway behind the snowplow that was clearing four inches of new snow that had added itself to the four inches that had fallen yesterday. Bud was staring out the window, almost oblivious to Goethe Shakespeare Umberdehoven, who sat beside him as usual. He saw little since wind-blown sheets of snow obscured everything more than twenty yards from the highway, but he was thinking of the caterpillar that had crawled up the log when Gramps scored his double on grouse. Bud had been a little skeptical when Gramps had predicted a harsh early winter from the caterpillar's markings, but now it looked as if they were in for the earliest and harshest winter in ten years. When Get Umberdehoven asked if he was going deer hunting, Bud said, Yeah, without turning away from the window. You don't seem so excited about it. Why don't I? Bud snapped. Always before, when deer season came, you couldn't hardly sit still. Now you act like you'd rather not go. Oh, shut up, Bud said. Then, feeling remorseful, he turned to face Get. Are you going deer hunting? Everybody goes the first day, and we got to get a deer, because if we do... Bud waited for what he knew was coming next. We can sell another pig. I'm going to stay out and hunt for as long as I want to, Bud said loftily. I'll hunt the whole season if I feel like it. I wish I could, Get said. School, it's hard for me. But if I don't go, I fall behind, and if I fall behind... He shrugged eloquently. Bud thought of Mr. Thorne's saying that he thought it would be a very important part of Bud's education to hunt the black buck, but he still had no idea what Mr. Thorne really meant. There were a lot of things he did not understand, Bud decided as the bus stopped in front of the Bennett's driveway. "'Good luck,' he said to Get to make up for having snapped at him. "'Yeah,' Get said listlessly. Bud left the bus and made his way through the eight inches of fluffy snow that blanketed the driveway. The snow was loose and easy to plow through, but still it would either keep the more timid hunters out of the woods entirely or make them concentrate in the fringe areas so that there would be fewer hunters in the deep woods. Shep came to meet him as Bud stomped the snow from his overshoes and took them off on the porch, and for a moment Bud wished he could change places with Shep, who wasn't allowed to go out into the deer woods during the season. Then he opened the door and went into the kitchen. A heavenly smell from the loaves of freshly baked bread that Graham was tumbling out of the baking pans filled every corner of the kitchen and overflowed into the nearby rooms. Gramps sat at the table fussing with some minor adjustment of his deer rifle. "'All set, bud?' he said, grinning. "'All set.' "'Good. Tomorrow we get on his tail. Give us four days together, just four days, and you and me'll tag that black buck.' Graham said, 
Oh, Delbert, you'd think that buck was more important than the President of the United States. Right now, and as far as I'm concerned, he is, Mother. Besides, who'd want the President's head hanging on his setting-room wall? Graham appealed to Bud. That's all he's been talking about, just that black buck. And if he's been over his rifle once today, he's been over it a hundred times. Got to have it right, Mother, Gramps said. We'll get one chance, and no more. If we miss when the chance comes, we'll have only ourselves to blame. After all this fuss and bother, you'd just better get him, Graham said dryly. There'll be no living with you the rest of the winter if you don't. I'd give you a slice of butter bread, Alan, except that it's still too hot. I'm not hungry, Bud said. I'll change my clothes and do the chores. I'll give you a hand, Gramps offered. No, you stay right here. Bud went to his room, glad to escape. If only a miracle would occur. If only the snow would melt and the leaves would appear and deer season would be over with the black buck still in Bennett's woods. There would be no miracle, Bud knew. There was just one thing he could do if the black buck came in range, shoot straight. Gramps wanted the head to hang in the living room, and Bud would do his best to see that it hung there. It made no difference whether he or Bud shot the buck, since they would be working as a team. Bud lingered at the chores, and for one of the very few times since he had come to live with the Bennets, he had almost no appetite for supper. Graham looked at him with concern, but Gramps was too excited to notice. "'He won't be in the hills, Bud, with this snow,' Gramps was saying. "'He and all the other deer with sense, which means all the other deer, will be down in the valley swamps and thickets. If this snow deepens, and I think it will, the deer will yard in for another week or ten days. Do you know where we'll find that black buck? Where? Bud tried to inject enthusiasm into his voice. Hagen's Flat or Dockerty's Swamp, Gramps said. I'm putting my money on Dockerty's Swamp. Not in twenty years have I put a buck out of there that I wanted to shoot, but I never lost the feeling that that's where my real luck lies. Yep, we'll find the black buck in Dockerty's Swamp. The next morning, fortified with one of Graham's substantial breakfasts, and each with one of her ample lunches in his hunting jacket, Gramps and Bud left the house with Graham's warning not to overdo ringing in their ears. Bud glanced at Shep, whose feelings were hurt because he was tied up so he couldn't follow them into the woods. The day grew lighter slowly, and from far off came an occasional rifle shot or volley of shots as hunters began to encounter deer. Bud had been right the day before in thinking that the snow would keep most of the hunters in easily accessible areas, for most of the shooting was going on near the main highway. There were almost no shots from the deep woods, but, as Gramps had predicted, that was where the deer were. 
First they saw a herd of fourteen does and fawns that had been driven down from the hills by the stormy weather. Then there was a buck, a ten-point with a very respectable rack of antlers. Either Gramps or Bud could have shot him before he glided out of sight in a rhododendron thicket. Next they saw a herd of nine in which there were two bucks. They parted at Dockerty's swamp. Gramps went down to track through the swamp, while Bud took his stand on a knoll up which any deer driven from the swamp would be sure to run. The snow had stopped falling, but heavy clouds lingered in the sky, and it would begin again. Now and then Bud saw a deer flitting across one of the few open spaces in Dockerty's swamp, and he knew that the swamp must be almost overrun by deer seeking a refuge from the snow. But no deer came up the slope, and before long it was clear that they preferred to take their chance in the swamp rather than go back into the hills. Bud had been at his stand a little less than an hour when he saw a deer running easily in the open country at the far edge of the swamp. Even if it had not been black, Bud would have known from its mighty rack of antlers that it was the black buck. Bud raced down the slope, stopping to whistle when he reached the edge of the swamp. Then, receiving no answer, he went a short distance into the swamp and whistled again. This time there was a reply, and Bud found Gramps leaning against a dead stub. "'What in Tunket are you doing?' he said angrily. "'You should know better than to leave a deer stand.' "'He went out the other side,' Bud said. "'The black buck?' "'Yes.' "'Come on.' Bud led to where he had seen the black buck disappear, and Gramps looked once at the tracks. "'It's him,' he said, "'and danged if he hasn't outsmarted us. He figures he knows as much about snow as we do, and I reckon he's right. Anyhow, he's going back into the hills.' They began to climb, and the snow became deeper and the drifts more frequent. Two-thirds of the way up Hammerson's Hill, Gramps turned to Bud. "'Give me an hour and come through on the track.' After a timed sixty minutes, Bud went ahead, following the buck's tracks. Before long he found Gramps, who had made a wide circle, standing beside a huge boulder, the tracks of the black buck, who had slowed from a run to a walk, still led on. "'I thought he came through here, and he did,' Gramps said. "'But he came maybe ten minutes before I got here. Ha! He thinks he's outsmarted us by taking to the hills, but could be he's tricked himself.' "'How has he tricked himself?' Bud asked. "'Longer shooting.' Gramps explained to Bud. If we find where he's dipped into a gully, we have a good chance of catching him going up the other side. They followed the tracks until two hours before dark. Whenever they came too near for comfort, the black buck would run a little way, but most of the time he was satisfied to walk. Then they found that he had given a mighty leap a full twenty feet to one side of his line of travel, 
and begun to run continuously. The tracks of four wild dogs came from the opposite direction and joined those of the black buck where he had veered off. Not speaking to save his breath for speed, Gramps followed the tracks. It was almost dark when he and Bud came to a place where the tracks separated, with the wild dogs going off in one direction and the bucks in another. "'They smelled us coming and kited off,' Gramps said. "'But they'll be back.' "'We'll start earlier tomorrow, Bud,' the old man said as they turned to go home. End of chapter 11 Recording by Roger Moline